Hello ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to VUX World, the practical voice podcast. This week's episode of VUX World is brought to you by Botmock. Check out Botmock if you're looking for something to prototype and test your voice designs in, then look no further than Botmock. It's got a really clean UI, it's easy to use, it's simple simple to get on with. Um, you can colour code all the various different elements of your design, so navigating through your design is easy. I mean, that can get quite complex if you've got really complex um, designs, you know, if you've got, you've got a big, massive, long, interactive story. Being able to navigate around that and get from one point to another is really important, and Botmock lets you do that really, really well. Also, from a creative standpoint, nobody just creates stuff in isolation and then just launches something. You tend to have a team around you. You're going to have developers around you. You're going to have maybe a couple of user researchers around you. You're going to have maybe more designers around you, a product owner. So having a place where all of those people can come and share their thoughts and feedback and comment and and iterate the design is absolutely invaluable. And that's exactly what you get with Botmock. So do check it out. Head to botmock.com slash VUXworld. That's B-O. T-M-O-C-K dot com slash V-U-X world for a free trial. Thank you, Botmark. Now, there's lots of interactive stories out there. There's lots of voice games out there that exist on Alexa and Google Home and all that kind of stuff. But this week we're talking about taking voice into other gaming environments, VR headsets, Xboxes, Playstations, all of that kind of stuff. The traditional gaming environments where you typically use a joystick. We're talking about bringing voice into those environments to make things happen during the game in real time and to actually control objects and elements of the game with your voice. This episode is with Gordon Midwood of Anything World, anything.world if you want to go and check it out. Essentially, you can ask for anything and it will put that anything into your world and then you can make that anything do stuff. So if you want a monkey waving a banana, then just ask for a monkey waving a banana and it'll just do that right there. So we're talking today really with Gordon about how he created Anything World, how it's all, how do you go about designing it, how does all the technical side of things hang together behind the scenes, and also how can this be applied, not just for the for the purposes of creating a standalone game, which Anything World have, but how can designers and game developers use this technology to implement voice control and voice behaviour manipulation within their games themselves. This is an interesting episode and we cover stuff that we haven't covered yet on the podcast. Even if you're not a gamer, which I'm not myself, but you want to be looking for examples of where voice can be used in other environments and some of the design challenges and technical challenges that you face while trying to do that, this episode is for you. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Gordon Midwood on VUX World. VUX World. VUX World. VUX World. VUX World. Branding with the big faces. I love listening to it. Kane Sims. Kane Sims. Kane Sims, the one and only. Britain's finest, Mr. Kane Sims. Dustin. Dustin. Dustin Coates. I like it when you guys are together and talking about voice. Without further ado, welcome to the show. Gordon, welcome to VUX World. Thank you very much. Very excited to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Glad to have we'll you here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure we won't. I'm sure we won't. We've been trying to schedule this for a long time, so I'm glad we've I'm glad we've made the stars align on this one. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's Christmas and January for you. It is. It is. How are you doing, Dustin? 
I'm doing quite all right. Really looking forward to this one, though. I have to be honest, I'm always a little worried when you bring on other English guests that your accents are just going to get stronger and stronger <laughs> to the point where I can't understand you. <laughs> it's a good job he's not Northern because I, I think I've I think I've kept my accent because Gemma tends to pull me back on track if it veers during the day. But I think if I was speaking to another proper Northern Northerner, like uh, another sort of like Teesider, then by the end of the episode, it might be complete gibberish. <laughs> Yeah, I understood most of what you guys just said. (laughs) Classic. So, Gordon, we're going to chat about Anything World, and this is um, an absolutely fantastic uh, piece of functionality tool. It's a platform. Well, how would you describe it anyway in the first instance? Describe it to us. Uh, Yeah, so sure. So Anything World is a platform that allows you to play with any object you can imagine using the power of your voice. That's that's the the one-liner about it. Essentially what it is, uh, it's a platform for developers to allow them to create voice experiences that combine Open3D libraries. So you can develop something using this, let's say it's a game, and you can say, add a tank. It will retrieve it, understand the intent of your language, say, I want a really big tank, retrieve it from an Open3D library like Sketchfab or Poly, and then it will do a bunch of machine learning cleverness in the engine, then add it into your game. So effectively, you can ask for whatever you like within the constraints of what's available, and it will appear within your game with behaviors applied. Um, so it's kind of the impetus behind it is, as I'm sure uh, you guys are well aware, voice is a super exciting emerging area that's in everything from toilets to cars to microwaves. Um, but it can be quite utility, uh, utility focused, can be quite, quite boring. You know, do me this one task and that's it. We want to approach it in a more playful way. And we want to combine it with games and 3D libraries and intelligence to allow people to, you know, interact uh, in a more joyous way with their surroundings using voice. Mm. So how did you get to this point then? Let's you know give, give, give the listeners a little bit of context in terms of your kind of background and career and experience, et cetera, today. How, so where, where did you come from? You were at EA Sports for a while, weren't you? And how, how did you get yeah, to this point? I, yeah, I was at EA doing a burnout, burnout Revenge on Xbox and PlayStation 2, I think it was, 100 years ago or however long ago it feels like. Uh, yeah, so I, I have a background in like technology and games. Um, myself and my co-founder, Seb, uh, we also made a bunch of independent games together, kind of stupid independent games. I made the first dubstep rhythm game on iPhone, which won a little award, like that was about 10 years ago. Uh, and then we made an underwater papercraft shark game called Derek the Deathpin, which was on PlayStation 3. And then we made a driving game about driving on multiple tracks at the same time, called Drive, Drive, Drive. So we kind of, always in the technology, kind of creative gaming space, uh, me and him. I'm just just doing stuff, and uh, we've been able to like get funding for those games by making prototypes, by showing them to people, produce them, and then try to sell them. Which uh, I don't know if you know any other indie game developers, but it's hard, very hard to get noticed, especially these days. The quality of the people are outputting is massive, and the amount of games is is huge. So it's very difficult, even if you've got a quality game, to to sell it. Um, since making Drive Drive Drive, I've started working for a voice agency in uh, London called Rehab. Do a lot of work for, do a lot of Alexa skills, Google Assistant actions, Messenger bots, as well as other web stuff. And it's kind of showed me uh, the power and importance of voice, um, especially, and, and how that's going to increase going forward. And I just want to kind of marry those two worlds, essentially. Uh, our creative games experience with my new voice and AI kind of experience. So to kind of join those worlds together, obviously there's uh, screen plus, um, voice plus screen devices like Echo Show, Spot, Google Home Hub, but they're kind of underwhelming to me in the experiences that they deliver. 
okay, if I want a recipe card or something like that, then, then cool. But if I want to play a game or I want to see like a 3D render, I want to do, create something with emerging behaviors, it's not really an opportunity for me to do that currently. And that's where I see us kind of coming in, like bringing these two worlds together that shouldn't really be separate. Mm, so that was a long no, no, it's good. It's good. It's an interesting perspective to come at it from because it's, you know, if you look at your likes of game design and game production, I mean, I always thought that, and, and, and all the conversations we've had and all the experience we've had is that, that voice is a fairly complex area to work in. But I'm, I'm 100% convinced that game design must be just as complex, if not more complex. Is there some similarities in terms of the complexity that goes into the creation of that stuff? I would say, yeah, it's more complex. Obviously, if you've got like a branching narrative thing, that has quite a, well, quite a good parallel with, say, like a text adventure game or an adventure game with a branching narrative. So there are parallels in terms of interactive stories and, and some of the more like um, story-driven voice skills, like, you know, the one with the caravan on the lecture and stuff like that. Magic Door or whatever it's called. But that kind of experience is kind of an adventure game-ish kind of structure anyway. But yeah, making games is extraordinarily complex, especially if you're doing like... Um, a new, new mode of gameplay that's not been done before, which we always try to do because we're stupid. If you're copying somebody's established genre, established gameplay, then that's fine. But as soon as you try and do something new, it's very difficult to define what feels right or juicy or what rewards the player, what keeps your interest, what doesn't annoy you. So, yeah, it's a complex area. I would say more complex than designing voice skills, but um, that is in itself complex. I guess there's tools like Dialogflow and Watson that abstract a lot of the complexity. If everyone had to write their own natural language understanding engine, then natural language processing engine, then voice would be very complex too. I guess the voice is kind of misunderstood at the moment isn't it, in terms of how it's implemented. As any kind of new media, people will try and put their, you know, put their TV on their website, put their website into voice. It's kind of, people need to understand what the medium is good for and that like short interaction for something that's a utility is great. Like, give me this, I'm off. That's great. That's not a high balance rate. That's what I want from a voice skill in that instance for example mm. um so again i rambled and didn't really answer your question no, i think i think you did i think but from what you said there it seems as though there'd be a lot of transferable skills from from game design into designing and developing voice experiences in general you were talking there about what how 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 what rewards people and what keeps them kind of entertained and what keeps them engaged and, and over time because there must be some similarities in that respect as well Oh, yeah, for sure. There definitely are. And it's, I guess it's no surprise that um, Amazon are doing you know, in-app purchases and all that kind of stuff. And there's, there's games that start to take advantage of that now. Yeah, there's definitely, in terms of designing the experience, a lot of parallels, um, I guess. And obviously, there's a lot of games on, on Assistant and Alexa that, that are trying to marry the two worlds directly. So, yeah, there's a lot of parallels there. It depends, depends what you're creating, uh, really, the complexity of what you're creating. And I guess as we see screens and voice kind of merge where I can start I'm already now so I can start something on Google Home and then transfer it onto my phone, take it through throughout the day, swap screen to, to voice. That's already possible once uh, Chromecast and TVs get better integrated, which I'm sure they will do in the future. People will be used to, you know, talking to their assistant and then that appearing on the TV or playing a, a multimodal game across different rooms. There's lots of possibilities for, for play and in, in voice and screen, for sure. And... Where did Anything World come from then? What, where did the sort of seed, when was it sowed and how, how did it kind of come about? Um, yeah, I guess from working at Rehab, and, uh, we do a lot of work here for clients like Nike, Estee Lauder, doing like voice skills, messaging skills, just seeing how that 
is kind of abstracted from the visual layer. Also, some, somebody like Nike has a range of amazing like shoes and 3D assets, and that are really being utilised uh, within the same experience because everything's kind of so segregated. And then seeing Echo Show, Echo Spot, uh, Home Hub, all, all the big players trying to integrate screens, and then seeing the markup for that, which is kind of you know list carousel image based, a little bit of HTML style markup. It's kind of limiting. To me, it's not. It's not like you know what, what I, we're trying to create is like a magical kind of experience. Like request any three D three D object you want, it will appear, and then you can talk to it. Is an example that we've got. We've got an app on um, iOS and Android called Speak to Anything, and it's just an AR app which integrates Watson and a bunch of other services in Google Poly, uh, and you can just point it at the floor or your desk, and then ask for any creature you like. Say ask for an aardvark, it will appear, and then you can ask it, you know, what do you like to eat, and it will say crisps. Etc. So it's just kind of a little demonstration of what you could do with our technology. It's kind of those magic moments with voice that we're trying to trying to encourage. And so, are you trying to? Are you building your own games, or are you building tools for other companies to use? Yeah. So primarily the second one, but also to get the word out the first one. So so um, we're building out a platform for other other companies to use that's going to be a subscription model currently that's how we're currently thinking of it so you pay a couple of pounds a month and you'll have unity unreal web api that kind of thing but we're also building out showcase applications as well to show what they can what they can use with it um, and we're looking for partners to do that too perhaps we'll be doing something with ubisoft along those lines that that will be a dream for us to do something with them um, uh, using our technology. So that might be a byproduct of our startup program. But yeah, it's kind of a chicken and egg thing at the moment. We need the platform to make the experiences and we need the experiences to get word out about the platform. So we're kind of kind of trying to do both. But we need more people really, more people and money. So if anyone's got either of those, send them on please. <laughs> and you mentioned Ubisoft there. Oh, is it Ubisoft or Ubisoft? I think it's Ubisoft, but I, but I might be might be wrong there. Okay, so do you want to tell us that, so that's a startup accelerator in Paris. You've just been accepted, announced last week. Yeah, yeah, it, exactly. Yeah, so we just it's just been announced just last week, and that we've been accepted onto the Ubisoft uh, startup program at Station F in the artificial intelligence track, which is amazing news for us. So we've got an office in Paris in Station F, which is an old station. I think it's the biggest. They call it the biggest startup hub in Europe. It's literally massive. It's like three hangars. I know that's not train terminology, but three massive buildings full of startups with Google, Amazon, everybody's there. Um, and it's a super like exciting place to work and they've got a nice cafe as well, which helps. Um, yeah, we've got office space there and we're talking to the um, uh, machine learning specialists at Ubisoft, their finance department, their investment advice, legal advice. So they're giving us like a framework of support and connecting us with other startups. They've already been in touch with like, people from Sketchfab through their connections. So it's, it's, it's really great for us. And I got the first big break for us as a startup getting onto that program. So hopefully that will open a lot of doors for us and maybe lead to a direct collaboration with Ubisoft and all their amazing assets and our technology. That, that would be the dream. Um, there's already plenty of game ideas flying around of what you could do. Yeah, fantastic. Dustin, that's, is that around your neck of the woods? Uh, it's it's also in Paris. I've never been. Uh, so Gordon, you're going to have to invite me over and show me around. Yeah, no problem, no problem. Yeah, it's, uh, I'm not really a Paris expert. It's uh, near, I can say Place d'Italie. It's near there. So, Gordon, uh, anything, it's a, it's a high promise. Uh, I can yeah, play with yeah. anything. Yeah. How, are you, how are you bringing, uh, to phrase it a different way, how are you bringing everything to voice? How does that come about? 
Um, yeah, so obviously we're dependent on the content of the 3D libraries we pull upon. Um, Google Poly has got like, uh, I think over 100,000 free models. Sketchfab has, has over 150,000. We're dependent on the quality of those that we pull in. We're also planning on um, adding our own uh, libraries into our system. So yeah, we are, it's not quite anything in the world or everything in the world. It's anything we can find in the libraries we have available. Um, but we can rationalize in terms of like doing like a knowledge graph thing. If you ask for a, uh, 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 like a chimpanzee and we don't have one, we can give you monkey something of like a higher, higher class, if you see what I mean, within the same logic structure. So we can do that. Um, but what we're trying, the intelligent part of what we're trying to do is add behaviors to static 3D models. So if you ask for a monkey, it will appear and we will uh, find the points on its uh, 3D mesh to animate, and then it will run around and behave like a monkey. So we're adding behaviors and animations within our platform. I, I think you made a good choice. Anything we can find that's available in the library's world is it doesn't quite roll <laughs> quite as quite as well. Exactly. Yeah, and there's, there's other ones like Quixel Mega Scans who have like photogrammic uh, photogrammetry. I can't say it, but you know more realistic looking models. And there's more and more coming online all the time. So uh, yeah, if you ask for something mega specific, you know a small piece of pipe with a gerbil sticking out. We could probably do that, actually. <laughs> Combining, obviously, is another thing that we can do. But that, that is quite funny in terms of gaming mechanics. If you want, you know, like, I don't know, a dog riding an elephant, that's something that, that we can do. But that's what we want, right? That's what everyone always wants, <laughs> riding elephants. But yeah, it's not everything in the world, but the possibilities are pretty high. It's, it's getting our platform to add the layer intelligence of behaviors coming right. And so that's interesting. You have hundreds of thousands of different items yeah. that, that people can select from. And with the combinations you just mentioned that, you know, just yeah. explodes it even more. Uh, fundamentally, this seems like a, a search problem. How do you connect what people are looking for to oh. what you have available? And you also mentioned fallbacks as well. How, like, how do you make that work? Um, yeah, I guess that's uh, two different issues because we're dealing mainly with gaming or more fun applications. Um, we anticipate people are not going to be that annoyed if, if, if they get a monkey rather than a specific variety of monkey that they've requested. Um, there are solutions to that available, like Google has a knowledge graph that, that you can query for, for similar objects and we can obviously uh, subset stuff. So if people get specific, we can give them a category up is one way of solving that, um, the specific request um, issue. But yeah, it's not really going to be a search issue. There'll be things which will not be available. It's more like an imagination thing, I guess. If you're, if you're uh, imagining like a battle game and somebody requests a type of plane that's not been seen before or a UFO that nobody's ever tried, we're hoping that will like, uh, allow emergent modes of gameplay that people have not thought of. There'll be a lot of you know, moments, that discoveries that come in all the time just because certain things have never been requested, certain behaviors have never been seen, certain combinations have never been seen. Obviously, it's not limitless. There's a limit currently of like, I don't know, 250,000 um, objects. Obviously, there'll be within that a few hundred dogs. Um, so, so yeah, it's, it's not everything, but we expect that to only increase as people submit more and more models to things like Sketchfab. And we get more and more partners on board. If Ubisoft come on board with like their libraries of, of a library of their models, then great. Uh, we, may, uh, we may, for a specific implementation, work with some uh, friends of ours in Sheffield, 1024, who great modelers and have done models for a couple of our games before just to put up a, like a big bank of super low poly models ready to be animated so uh, yeah it's not really a search problem but there will be queries that can't be fulfilled but we ho we're hopeful that people will be kind of understanding about that given the, its playful context 
And is it then, so from from what you were describing there, if someone's playing, I think the example you gave was someone's playing a battle game and they request a, a UFO, then they can, they can almost change the what's happening in real time. So is the concept of this, is this just to bring in that UFO or is the concept of this to bring in that UFO and then control it and have it do stuff with your voice as well? Exactly, the second one, yeah. So a lot of these will need to be custom defined. We're planning on having a web portal so people can define custom actions or responses based on their on their game or implementation. But yeah, the idea is not just to request and it dumps on the floor. If it's a UFO, fly around and perhaps start firing laser, lasers at, at the enemy forces if it's, if it's a battle game, as an example. So yeah, a lot of this comes from intelligently adding those behaviors and allowing people, creators, to customize those behaviors based on their particular setup. So this then, so the example in the app that that you have is it's 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 good. It's you know you can play with it and you can make things happen. You can you can pull ask for a dinosaur and a building or whatever. And I think that's in the example video. As a standalone thing, it's got like the novelty kind of appeal. How do you see it, and do you see it changing? Because I don't know enough about gaming necessarily, because I haven't played a game since I I used to play FIFA quite a lot when I was in uni, and I was spending far too much time on it, so I kind of like just banished myself from from the Xbox. Um, so would you see this changing? gaming because at the moment gaming is very much kind of like control pad you know and maybe it's a headset to communicate to people who you're playing with online or whatever but but it's predominantly controlled by a control pad or something isn't it is this something that will fit into that current gameplay model or is this something that will bring about a new way of interacting and playing games well we're hopeful for the second one it's kind of a lofty ambition there was a game a few years ago called scribble noughts which was on the ds which uh, you could type in what, whatever you wanted and it would fulfill that request. It was kind of a puzzle, like a sandbox 2D puzzle game kind of thing. It was pretty popular and we're kind of like the model, modern version of that. That with voice and you can say whatever you like and open 3D libraries and layers of intelligence added on. So yeah, we're kind of hopefully it does like evolve or create new emergent worlds of play. Um, but yeah, it, it can fit into current gaming too. Um, I guess the reason that companies like Ubisoft are interested in what we're doing is to be on like the cutting edge of what's coming next. A lot of games companies, not specifically Ubisoft, they're lovely, um, obviously. <laughs> but you know, a lot of games companies are quite old-fashioned in terms of their production pipelines. Um, machine learning and like generative animations is, is a big part of, of how computer games companies are working and need to work more in the future. Uh, production of assets is time-consuming as well. So, like, these kinds of solutions, I think, will help to, like, revolutionize the way that games are made and the way that games are played. And also, people have different expectations now. It's not just you get a game and it's, it's done. You know, we expect it to evolve. We expect patches. You expect it to be a service. You expect multiplayer. So, like, these kind of, like, evolving, emergent experiences, I think, does fit into kind of a new way of, of games. And it doesn't have to be perfect as well. It will be a bit rough around the edges, necessarily, because you don't quite know what you're requesting. Um, so yeah, kind of, kind of both, I think. But the specific anger aspect of gaming, I think it fits in right now, is VR and like um, mixed reality stuff. So the Magic Leap headset, and rumored headsets from Google and Facebook and Apple. I don't know how much is true there, but as these things become more prevalent, voice is a very natural way to interact when you're in when you're in VR. When you've got a mixed reality headset on, it's a very natural way to control the content around you and and, and to manipulate things. So we imagine that being a big area of interest and we've had a lot of interest from AR content creators like uh, Preloaded and Nexus. We do things for like for the BBC bringing museum pieces into your living room. They're very interested in you know 
adapting that kind of content with voice controls uh, uh, and like open libraries too. So I guess it should be more prevalent within traditional games, but anything to do with mixed reality, AR, VR, is quite a big use case for now. Does this require a certain type of console to actually... I mean, is this something that you that you will see, for example, let's say that everything goes swimmingly over the next kind of like year or so, is this something that you could see in an Xbox game or is this something that you would need a, a VR headset or a specific piece of hardware for? No, I mean, the VR headset is just an example where I think it's, it's quite um, quite relevant today. You just need a microphone, essentially, and that's an access an access to the service um, to get, to get uh, input. Get microphone input, that's what we need, microphone input and a display. Um, so, yeah, anywhere where that's prevalent, like, you know, laptops, phones, um, it's just that mixed reality headsets and VR headsets seems quite a natural fit because of the difficulties of interface control in those environments and the immersion within the world that, you, that you're in. So kind of doubles the wow effect, I guess. Hmm. What about what happens, so you say that all you need is a microphone, and maybe this kind of touches on some of the, the questions that Dustin was asking just there around how do you go about categorizing all this stuff. But before before you can categorize and interrogate whatever it is that you, that you want to draw upon, there's, there, there must be something in the middle here. So you've got the microphone down here on, on the device. You've got all of that data and those 3D libraries you were talking about over here, presumably in a, in a cloud somewhere. What happens in the middle? How, I mean, I'm not asking you to kind of spill your secrets, but like a, a broad overview of, of how this kind of thing works and, and what, what's going on. Yeah, so that's no secret. So I can I can spill it for you. That's not that. <laughs> um, yeah, so we just go off. At the moment, we have Dialogflow and Watson integrated. So we'll send text, ideally, to, to Dialogflow and just get the intent, which we've uh, reconfigured, to match what you say. So if you say, I want a big pink giraffe, we'll get the color pink and giraffe. And then we'll send that off to our to our uh, 3D uh, library, get a giraffe, and then color it, you can display it for you. So yeah, the, the bit that was missing from my description is, is natural language understanding services like, like Dialogflow and Watson. Um, they're also integrated within our platform. Okay. So, so just like you were just like an assistant. Yeah, yeah. So what a large part of designing a voice experience and then creating that voice experience is around trying to understand what those intents actually are it's all it's all kind of well for for us to say well i want you know a train ticket booking intent or i want a weather intent or what have you and so so coming up with what those intents are and all of the different types of ways that those intents can be phrased and all that kind of stuff that's kind of like where half of the battle is isn't it trying to think of all those different kind of things how, where do you even start when you can just ask for anything and have that anything do anything? Well, um, I guess we, we have pre-configured actions based on what you've asked for. So if you ask for a dog, then we know that that dog is a certain category and it has certain behaviors that apply to it. So there'll be things that you, you can't do. For example, to give you a bad example, um, uh, ask for a dog and make it drive around. That's not going to work. But, so we know from the intent of what you've asked for, if it's a dog, we know what categories of behaviors, default behaviors apply to that, and then we can match those. So we're kind of segmenting it up, segmenting the intent into little bits. Once we know the object you're requesting, then we can um, get the default behaviors we've set up for that object. Obviously not all of this is solved problems right now uh, because we're still building the platform. We're super young, we're only seven months old. Um, but we do have the, the Dialogflow and Watson integration with Poly and Sketchfab, so you can request models and have them appear in your environment. But yeah, there are obviously edge cases that we can't catch, and that's the nature of promising anything in the world. We've made ourselves a problem there. 
but yeah, there are ways of there are, luckily because we know what you're what you're asking for in this specific instance, we can narrow it down uh, in that way. And then, what are, what do you do about those errors? Not errors necessarily, but if if it's something that you that you can't fulfil, if you want a dog driving around in a big bright yellow taxi, what do you do with that when someone asks for that? Well, we can use that that to make our system more intelligent. We can use that to train it. Um, but um, yeah, dog driving around in a yellow taxi should be possible. It's not possible today, but it should be possible. Like combining, I'm not saying the dog will fit in perfectly; it might fall out. But that'll be part of the comedy, I think, of, of the <laughs> of the experience. You know. You can certainly get a car and put a dog on top of it. Whether it will stay there is, is, a, is a different issue. Um, but yeah, they, those are challenges. But like our biggest challenge, to be honest, is not really in the natural language understanding. It's more in the, um, the understanding of the model and its structure that we get back from these um, services. So like adding wheels to a car, identifying the like spherical colliders to make sure that's where the wheel should be, or finding knees in a human to make sure it's um, animated properly is, is more of a technical challenge than understanding intent of what someone's saying. Um, obviously, there's always going to be bits that are outside the range of what we can understand. And yeah, like I guess from the most voice experiences, it's like do one thing and do one thing well, because you can't have a voice service that answers every random query about everything in the world. That's impossible. Like, I guess that's kind of the uh, impetus of your query. How can we promise everything in the world? In reality, we're not. We're providing people with a, a service that they can request for an object with a behavior or they can apply a predefined action to an object. So it's not quite as open as it might seem. Hmm. And then let's say that, cause you were talking about this being not just a, a kind of like a game at the moment that you can interact with, but also something that the game developers can then use themselves to in incorporate this kind of functionality into their games. And I think you kind of touched on it earlier on that they would have to, um, so they would have to come up with their own intents and their own behavior that they want to apply to each object. Um, no, there'll be a set of default, um, default intents, default behavior. So let's say you're using this in Unity and you get a, a key and then you just make, add that request to, add that key to every request. So you could say, yeah, get me a dog, get me a big dog, get me a dog that runs around and that would all be fine. That would be default behaviors. If you wanted to go beyond that and do something specific to a game, let's say you wanted to throw the dog in your game, as an example, or, or make the dog a boomerang, you'd have to set up those, those, those motion values within our web platform. So we have a set of default behaviors and also default conversations for objects. If you wanted to go beyond that, you'd have to define that yourself, because obviously we can't catch more than defaults for every bespoke experience. You know, If it's like a banana race, where you're racing bananas, I don't know, you're gonna use bananas for racing. Nobody could possibly know that. <laughs> I've just made that up. So that would have to be custom configured. Yeah. One of the other custom configurations that, that I would need to do would be that dog you mentioned would need to have a urine infection, which is what my dogs managed to pick up <laughs> over the last <laughs> over the last two days. So that yeah, that, that's what I'm dealing with. So what what <laughs> yeah what what kind of other um, either design or technical sort of challenges have you come across from a voice perspective in doing this? Um, I guess uh, it's kind of in the nature of what we're doing, promising a lot. People do get frustrated in voice, is something I've seen at, at Rehab um, as well, is that if you don't fulfill the request that they expect, then they start to get, quite quickly get quite annoyed. So like, oh, come on, you stupid thing. And start, you know, frustration is always only ever a step away. I guess it's because of the emergent nature, the nature of the medium getting better. I think it's already amazing, but once people have something, they become entitled to it. It's like, you know, 
uh, you know, Wi-Fi on a flight. That disgraced comedian had a big example about, you know, as soon as people have Wi-Fi on a flight, they're like complaining, the Wi-Fi's down, the Wi-Fi's down. <laughs> you know, as soon as people have something that becomes so entitled and expected to behave in certain ways, and also just the way that it does behave nicely, like Google Assistant, for example, uh, matches queries so nicely that if it doesn't, people start to get very angry. So we have a little bit of a head start, a little bit of a, a goodwill because of the nature of the things that we're making. So games are more playful. But yeah, people can get quite frustrated quite quickly in voice. And that's often compounded by people not doing the basics of like having a fallback intent, letting people go back easily, letting people repeat things. You know, it's badly designed experiences and the emergent nature of the medium, I think, makes people frustrated sometimes. And, and how are you guys handling that? You mentioned there's a there's a possibility of frustration. What specifically are you building in to, to counterbalance that? Well, obviously we have like do standard things like have a range of uh, fullback uh, responses if we can't match. If we can tell you're trying to get an object and we can't match it, we'll just say try something else or we can suggest something else if they say they, they want a gorilla and there is no gorilla, there is a gorilla. Let's say they want a speckled gorilla and there's not a speckled gorilla, we might just, would you like to try gorilla? So we can suggest things that we know we have and we can um, you know, respond to them in kind of friendly, jovial ways uh, and guide them. And, uh, I guess that's, that's the way we're trying to handle it. Do all the basics well, not frustrate them and you know, suggest related things if they're asking for something that we don't have. Hmm. There was a really good, um, it was a voice, oh no, what was it? It was Dashbot actually, Dashbot. I don't know whether you have seen it. Come, they published a, uh, a blog post talking about people getting frustrated. They published a post that looked at sentiment analysis of all of their conversational Obviously, everyone uses Dashbot, the analytics platform. They use it within their skills and actions and stuff to, to understand what's working and what's not and all that kind of stuff. They then kind of like took all that data, rolled it all up, and they published this uh, blog post that was saying what some of the most common positive phrases are and what some of the most po- uh, common negative phrases are. And apparently on Google Assistant, in the top 10 negative phrases is F off. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine. But I can imagine that the, the the concept of becoming frustrated with something is it's high enough when you've got the, something on, on a Google Home or, or an Echo or something like that. But now you put it into a gaming environment and not only do you need to give someone exactly what they've asked for, but you also need to do it quickly in real time and within the game. So how do you deal with it? Because it's voice tends to be typically, it's actually a slow medium in terms of the response that you would get from voice. So how do you deal with it when you need it to be so quick? Yeah. Um, so it's, this is, this system is not suitable for real time games, not for, not for driving games, not for real time. So like turn-based things like in the fighting game example, the turn-based game, it will be suitable for right now. Um, puzzle games, strategy games, um, things like that uh, are well suited for what it is right now. Um, it would be great to do something like a rally game where it's like turn left, turn hard right. But um, yeah, there's, there's a certain delay in, in processing the intent of what you're saying and also requesting models and behaviors too. It's not big, it's, it's what people expect. You know, it's like a second or so. It's expected from even from talking to Alexa that you'll get a little blue ring and it will take a little while to get your response. But yeah. Our system is not suited for, you know, fast-paced real-time games, at least not just yet. It could be adapted for it, uh, if, but then if you had a bank of assets within that game and, um, you know, you're doing, you know, basically keyword response or you knew what you were going to match, but then it kind of undermines the concept of what it is. So, yeah, maybe one day when we all have uh, 10G or whatever, 
maybe, maybe one day it will be, but right now it's not suitable for, you know, fast-paced real-time gaming. And now is the latency more on the NLU side or on the rendering side once you get those results? Um, it's kind of 50-50. But obviously, it depends on the model you request. If it's, if it's like a low-poly thing from Google Poly, then, then that's super quick. That can be often quicker than matching, uh, matching um, the uh, NLU stuff. It's also dependent. We're, we're working on a web API right now. Uh, so in Chrome, that works really nicely with like um, the web speech API. It just goes speech to text, send the text off. But for other browsers, we have to send the audio off, so that obviously slows things down. So it's kind of dependent on platform. Um, but it's pretty quick. I mean, it's, it's, it's quick, as quick or quicker than you would expect a response from Assistant or Alexa. So is this then, I'm assuming based on that conversation just there, it, it's, this is everything that you do essentially is, is in the cloud, or do, do, do you do anything on, on the device itself? Well, um, yeah, so like we would do speech to text on the device itself. I did, and then just send text off to our platform. We can also send uh, audio, as I mentioned, off to the platform if necessary. Um, so yeah, we'll just send the text of what you said, and then we'll match that to whatever intents, get whatever uh, models, and then add behaviors to them and return them to, to your 3D world. So yeah, everything is based. That's why it's kind of service-based. That's why it's sort of hand-in-hand. -hand. If we develop a really cool game with this, we'll be developing the platform alongside it as well, because the two uh, need each other, if you're wondering. Mm, that's that's quite interesting that you're doing the speech to text locally. It's mm. uh, I think pretty uncommon. What are you using to to do that, or is it dependent on each uh, each implementation? Yeah, it's dependent on each implementation. So we've got iOS and Android app. So we're using the Siri stuff on iOS and the Android stuff, which name I forget on Android to do that. Um, it's just for speed, really. We also had a, we had a version with Watson that, that did um, speech to text via their services, but that was pretty slow. Um, I'm not, I'm not one of this Watson because we use it for a lot of the other stuff. But um, yeah, just in the nature, I think, of just, you know, sending, depending how large the file is, um, wherever possible, we'll do it locally. But um, yeah, the, the platform's evolving. It's dependent on the medium you're on. So there's no real one fast rule. Like I say, if you're not in Chrome and you're using our web version, then we're sending the audio to our service too. So. Hmm. And is there anything that is uniquely different between because you've had a lot of experience in designing and creating developing voice experiences at rehab um that's the, <laughs> that kind of uh, that's where the name rehab comes into a bit of uh, sensitivity doesn't it you in, in a recovery program developing voice experiences yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so it's actually a pretty good name because it could be where you go to be cured of all of your problems and come out at the other end with a solution that, that's fit for purpose. So I can I can see where it comes from. Um, but yeah, so so you've had a lot of experience in design and developing uh, the, the voice experiences there. What else? I mean, we spoke about storyline and narrative and things like that in terms of what what things are similar. But what else do you think is either similar or dissimilar for those people listening who've got experience designing for smart speakers or voice assistants? <clears throat> Where are some of the other similarities or differences between doing this in a in a live gaming environment? Um, I guess the disciplines are kind of coming together, aren't they? Like even if you're purely voice right now, you're voice and screen because you have to allow for it, and and. Um, as things develop, I imagine we'll get like more fuller HTML views within these devices. So you can just embed a full HTML view within your um, home hub or your Echo or screen device. And I imagine TVs will become more integrated. So you can just cast as you can select bits in America. This is weather in America, isn't it now from 
from the system. I imagine basically all these displays will get more integrated. So voice plus screen will become more prevalent. So if you're a voice designer, you're also designing for a display. And if that display is just an HTML embed, then it could be a 3D asset, it could be anything. Um, so I think everything's kind of converging, which is as it should be, I think. Um, like originally, everything went kind of like voice is the future, voice is the future, forget about screens. But then, as we saw quite quickly after that, it's like, oh, here's a screen in case you need to go through some recipes because you don't want to go through a carousel with voice because that's incredibly tedious. Um, so everything is converging, I think, and all disciplines are converging. So I think the understanding of voice is the bit that needs to develop uh, understanding like visual mediums is, is fairly well, fairly well established, I guess. <laughs> Things we've been seeing for hundreds of thousands of years. So I'm just talking nonsense now, but yeah, I didn't answer your question, but I did give you a rambling answer again. So. <laughs> no, that's cool. No, it, it makes sense. I think that things are, um, things are, Converging. That's kind of one of the things that I think it might have been um, Sean Canungo a few months back was talking about. That's one of the things that actually gives voice its power is that maybe it's not solely voice on its own, but it's voice in connection and collaboration with other things. It could be location information, could be, uh, you know, previous user behavior, could be visual stuff all combined together, all create something that's better than, than the, the sum of its parts, so to speak. Well, that's precisely yeah, agreed. And like, if we, if you can hook it, I mean, thinking about games like uh, home, like games with like smart devices, where you're playing a voice game and it turns down the light in the kitchen if it's a scary game, or you know, it turns on a speaker in a different room. There's all these things you can play with once you connect it up. Uh, there's like people are now trying to extend it beyond voice. Obviously, um, there's the read along with Disney uh, thing that's only in the states, unfortunately, which I found out after I bought two uh, Mickey Mouse books for my five-year-old, <laughs> where you know, you're reading along. It, System provides the sound effects as you're reading to your children. That's lovely because that's, as you say, like bringing, reaching the physical and, and the and the voice world and become, providing an accompaniment. Yeah. So the more this stuff mixes, mixes, not mixes, mixes and converges, um, the more exciting it gets and the more the magic's there. Like with our platform, you ask for something and then it appears in your 3D world and you can talk to it, or it has behaviors applied. That's kind of magical and that's the combination of worlds that, that make this stuff more interesting. I think rather than being just purely a voice thing mm. and is that where you see things heading then thinking about as things progress over the next kind of year two three years is that the trend that you that you think will happen is everything will converge like that or do you see anything else on the horizon uh yeah i mean it's kind of a broad question but yeah i think definitely convergence of of, of that is going to be quite um quite prominent you would see i think we'll see more exciting displays We'll see more content, more rich content on, on uh, voice plus screen devices. We'll see voice obviously come into everything. It's in the toilets and microwaves, where else can it go? Um, it'll be in everything, right? Um, and everything will be more, more tightly integrated. I guess you know, machine learning is the thing that's powering a lot of revolutions behind the scenes in voice and in computer vision and everything. So that, I guess all that stuff will integrate and we'll get some amazing applications come out for sure so yeah and also then um i think the mixed reality headsets coming out if google or apple or facebook bring out an amazing one that's comfortable to wear and it's not hideous um that, that hits the mainstream that that could help redefine a lot of stuff and then the natural interface for a system like that is definitely going to be voice so yeah i can only see more and more excitement and convergence really and, and do you voice, see which is what you'd expect me to say right it's a voice podcast <laughs> well yeah but sometimes it's nice to have a challenge if, if, if that's not the way things are but, yeah uh, that's not me I'm not a challenger I'm only enthusiastic I'm not a challenger <laughs> so, so do you see then in terms of the gaming 
space in the gaming world, do you see voice becoming a, a prevalent and front and centre part of the gaming experience, or do you see it being just part of it? Well, um, I think I think both. It'll be a natural way to interface in certain environments if there's mixed reality or VR. It'll be a way that people obviously, right now, it's a way people expect to chat to their friends in multiplayer, expect to connect with other players. So it'll be an expected way of of using part of games. And it also, I think it will be expected way of controlling games and requesting things in games. So services like ours, I think, will, will change the nature of gameplay as well as voice being an expected way of being able to do certain basic things across, across games and apps. So kind of both. So that kind of makes sense because people are, in, in the kind of online sort of gaming world, people have got headsets on and they're used to speaking and conversing anyway, so it kind of feels natural to then bring the game into that conversation, doesn't it? Exactly, yeah. It's how people are increasingly interacting within games and with the services they've got outside of games. So, yeah, obviously voice has always been a natural way to communicate. Why not um, hook it up to uh, available 3D libraries, add behaviours and, and bring a bit of, of fun into play? I think, like... Um, the joy of like using voice and screens and 3D objects is what we're trying to trying to bring out a little bit of fun back into what can often be like a utility-based space. Yeah, yeah. Wicked. So where can people go then to actually see this in action and try it out? Right, yes. Yeah. So if you go to anything.world, it's a .world domain, uh, you will see a video about our service and you get links to the iOS and Android app. Uh, yeah, and that's it. And they're free to download, so feel free to download either both of them don't be shy about giving a five-star review and like a glowing glowing diatribe about how wonderful it is that's all fine that's all allowed <laughs> fantastic and how can people kind of keep on top of what you're doing and follow you through the the accelerator over the next few months and, and how can people kind of reach out to you if, if they if they see fit yeah if you go to anything.world you'll you'll find um well you will find when i put it up there you'll find our email address you'll find our twitter insta facebook so you can follow on all of those lovely social platforms We've got a little news section on there. Um, so, yeah, that's the, that's the place to go to, to link off to all our social stuff and check out our apps if you want to. Cool. A dot world, email, uh, dot world domain name as well. Very in right now, that. Is that? <laughs> VUX. V, oh, yeah, well, well, VUX world is up there as well. We're, we're early adopters oh, of the dot world. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Gordon, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for bringing such a unique perspective to, to this whole industry. It's been really refreshing to hear about the stuff that you're doing and all the best for the Accelerator. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks so much. Well, thanks so much for uh, listening to me and chatting to me. It's been brilliant. That was Gordon Midwood of Anything World. Seriously, do check out Anything World. Uh, it is a fantastic example of how you can take voice and merge that with other modalities and technologies to create something that is engaging and consuming and entertaining. It really, really is. And I love Gordon's kind of whole concept of using voice for something more um, immersive rather than the standard request response and, and kind of flat interactions that we can sometimes have. Don't get me wrong, they have a purpose. If you want to know what's in your calendar tomorrow, then you just want to know what's in your calendar tomorrow. Voice has huge benefits for, from a utility perspective. But to use it to create something that is uh, more immersive, it's a little bit along the lines of what we were speaking about with the Hidden Cities Berlin podcast we did uh, last week using voice to create an immersive experience and to be able to bring about things in front of you visually with your voice and then to have those things animate and, and do things and, and kind of put behaviors onto them it's 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 novel 
but it's also something that I can see a whole entire game being built around. I can really see how that will be something that is really exciting and it can catch on because voice is the most natural interface that we have. And as Gordon was saying, as these VR headsets and all these other types of devices that, that enhanced gameplay come about, voice seems to be the natural default interface to, to use in these environments. So super excited to see where Anything World goes with the uh, accelerator that it's involved in over the next few months. And do check it out, anything.world, uh, and let them know what you think. It's, it's, I can see this having a huge application. You could create games with this on its own, you know, as Anything World are doing, but also for, for developers of games to use this technology to then enhance their games and the capability in their games could be an absolutely huge opportunity. So thank you, Gordon, for joining us. That was an immense chat. Thank you, Dustin, as well. And thank you all for listening. Until next time, see you later.